Hey everyone, welcome back to Christ is the Cure. We are continuing the summer guest series. Today we have a very interesting and special story that uh, I think is well just fantastic. And it's uh, the discussion was David Lawler. So he's a pastor up in uh, Washington, and I will uh, let him take over in terms of would you care to tell us a little bit about yourself, David? Sure. Um, so yeah, as Nick said, I'm a pastor in Washington in a little town called Cedar Woolley, which is a part of Skagit County. Um, and we're kind of the the, um, the county in between Bellingham and Seattle, to just make it a little more familiar. Um, I've been a pastor for about eight years, um, have a wonderful wife, Shauna, and two boys, Micah and Levi. Um, and uh, it's been um, a wonderful uh, time pastoring, uh, out here in Cedar Woolley. Um, my wife and I, uh, moved out here almost six years ago. Um, I was doing youth and college ministry and, uh, God has continually worked through this season. We love it out here. We love the, the people. Um, and God has definitely brought about, um, a lot of change in our life. Um, uh, whether it be uh, family or ministry, there's just been a lot of change for us. But definitely on the ministry front, we've experienced uh, both, I would say, hardships and um, incredible blessings that the Lord's brought our way. Um, and so we, yeah, we love it out here and uh, me getting to pastor um, out here. Awesome. So, yeah, I didn't realize you were up there for, for that long. Where, where were you before Washington? Uh, well, I actually grew up here in Washington. Okay. I've pastored this church for, you know, about, uh, like I said, o- almost six years now. Um, when I was doing youth and college ministry, it was in Mount Vernon, which mm. Mount Vernon and Cedar Woolley are about 13 to 15 minutes apart from one another. Um, so in my early years, I was a part of a network of churches. And so when I was doing youth and college, it was at one location, and then there was a need for a pastor. Um, and so I came out to Cedar Woolley to take over at the time what was a bit of a struggling church, a small church, um, under 50. Um, and so my wife grew up out here. Her parents live out here. Um, and so we had the opportunity to come out to Cedar Woolley. She was pregnant with our, our first son, Micah. Um, and uh, so we've always kind of lived in the area. Shauna grew up in Cedar Woolley. I grew up um, first in Everett, then in Conway, which is like 20-ish minutes from Cedar Woolley. So we've always been really close in the area. Yeah. That, that's kind of nice that you got to stay local like that. So, you know, yeah, kind of on it's the home nice. Front. It's nice and it's not nice when it comes to you just learn to you basically know everybody yeah. over a, a period of time. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I live about 30 minutes from my hometown, which is a really small town labeled as the cowboy capital of the world. Uh, okay. Uh, whenever I go up there, it's 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 interesting. Um, so anyway, uh, we, we did introduce a topic, and, and I did that on purpose. The, the topic is local reform, for those listening. And the, the title is related to David's congregation's journey. It's kind of a weird way to phrase that. But regardless, um, it's very fascinating. And so would you share a summary of your congregation's journey? Sure. Um, you know, when I when I came to the church out here, um, very um, 
I mean, again, the the theme was kind of um, everyone gathering and uh, unified around a, a particular set of core values. Um, the the lead pastor over all these network of churches at the time um, uh, came from uh, a traditional Baptist background, and there were others within different backgrounds. And um, the pastor who I took over for, who I replaced at the time, was a pastor who grew up and was a pastor within Assemblies of God before coming to this network of churches. And so taking things over was incredibly different. Um, I very much so appreciate that pastor. Um, He's a great guy. Um, loves the Lord dearly, loves his wife. I, I think, man, I probably learned um, so much from him just in watching him and how he loves his wife. But him and I transitioned. He was retiring from the police force and also from uh, the pastorate at the time. And I took over, uh, young and dumb, ready to do all kinds of things in the ministry world. And um, I really had to slow down um, in, in a need to, to get to know people more. And so this congregation was gathered for several years before I came along. Um, but really at the time, the guy I took over for was an interim pastor. Um, so they really didn't have a long-term leadership. Um, they didn't have elders because it was a non-denominational church and there was a lot of freedom in ecclesiology and um, even the preaching style, um, there wasn't really a long-term um, set of uh, values. And here's what we're doing um, beyond how that looked from a network level. And so the local church really had a need for a shepherd. Um, and so when I came along, um, like I said, I think it's appropriate to say at the time I was young and dumb. I had just learned the doctrines of grace Um and I was I was new to Calvinism. I was new to expository preaching, and so we went from topical preaching to expository preaching. And I think that is that is the fundamental um, piece about our congregation's journey. And so to tell that backstory is important because when I showed up, um, the preaching wasn't bad. It wasn't uh, heretical or anything like that. Um, but you could tell that these people really didn't uh, understand the Bible. They hadn't really been discipled. Uh, and the interim guy was really focused on loving them well. And I think he did a, a good job of that in his shepherding. But you could tell that there was a bit of an absence in the pulpit. Um, and so for me, um, doing expository preaching was really important. And that led to doing a uh, series through books of the Bible. Um, we covered first john and that became a really important topic of what does the christian life look like how do you deal with false teachers we would go through ephesians um and that would cover all sorts of topics especially um and i wouldn't say like the quote-unquote calvinistic texts were the aim but really teaching people to ask important questions how do you deal with predestination what does it mean that we're dead in our trespasses and sins And so that became the way by which a lot of discipleship was taking place, Um, teaching people to be expositional listeners as much as um, sitting under the exposition of Scripture. And so our congregation's journey began with expository preaching. And the more we, we walked through books of the Bible, 
and really, uh, as I worked to uh, not only contextualize, but really give biblical application, it really challenged um, us to think about what are the other areas that must be governed by the word. So if the preaching is uh, really governed by, by the text, and the text is the main thing that drives the sermon, well, man, the scripture should, should probably be what drives other areas of our ministry. And so that really challenged us to think through, you know, as we later had elders, um, to really think through how are we uh, leading our ministry? How are we shepherding our people? Um, and that has been a very interesting thing that led us to um, the place that we are today. And I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of myself, um, but I would say that expository preaching was really the thing that led us to some of the important things that we've walked through. So if, if I can kind of j- jump on that and I guess kind of open that up is what, yeah. what, what were the kind of things that you were seeing from the, the changes caused by expo- expository preaching? Yeah. Um, I, I think, well, a couple things. And I think um, the first is that expository preaching one has many different styles. And I always joke that um, I, I tend to be more than an exegetical expositor. Um, and so I like to go verse by verse. Um, right now, I'm almost two and a half years into the Gospel of John in preaching. Um, and so, you know, while, while I could joke that I'm long winded, at the same time, what I found was a lot of times congregants have a tendency to make assumptions about a text. Um, rather than ask questions of a text. Um, And I think that's very common in the church today. And, you know, we hear a preacher say something, and out of that, um, we we just go, okay, well, you know, he did the study, so that must be, um, you know, that must be the answer. But I think it really taught our people, for one, to be good Bereans and to love theology. and really teaching our people that, you know, theology isn't this study that a theologian or a pastor does alone in his office. Um, theology is, is, is loving God. It's, it's truly obeying God and seeking what is true. And so I think one of the main things we saw was this longing to open the word and ask important questions. Um, and then the answer being that no answer from a pastor alone is going to be sufficient. Nothing that I have to say will be sufficient for God's people. Um, I can exposit what the word says. I can explain, um, but it's really the word that will have the substance. Um, and so along that train of thinking, um, you know, when it came to discipleship, it really helped me to think through the exposition being dead center and what leads up to that and what trails off of that it are, are the important conversations and, and, and times in shepherding that, you know, really, as I'm as I'm preaching, asking people about, you know, what they're reading and 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 walking with them through the exposition of Scripture, because I think that's a that's a tendency I've found is, you know, this the text is for the for the Sunday sermon. Um, and yet I think something I've, I've longed to teach our people is no, read the text uh, as you're leading up to it. Read the text after, ask really important questions. And so I think um, 
it's really challenged us um, to really teach our people to be Bereans, to, to love theology, and, and really rethink how they're approaching the Bible as a whole. Yeah, I think you, I mean, I appreciate a lot of what you said. I think you, you hit the nail on the head in, in a lot of respects, especially in terms of, well, ultimately it's, it's what Scripture does, and that the, the general disposition for many congregants is, well, you know, I hear this, you know, this message on Sunday, and that's kind of it, but there, there's a yeah. lot more to it. Yeah, absolutely. So within, the, within your situation, um, mm-hmm. y'all saw um, a need to reform. Um, what, what led to this need to, so to speak, reform and break away from this network, and what, what was the dividing line or the breaking point? How, how did that all pan out? Yeah. Well, um, for years, um, we had a, a founding, you know, our founding pastor, leader guy, um, was one who, um, man, I think, I think even to this day, I will forever be grateful uh, for him. Um, and, you know, many of us jokingly would say we've gone through the cage stage. And I always like to say that um, this pastor was the one who, who added gracious padding to my cage um, because he was someone who I could often go to and contend with. And he would um, many times put me back in line. Um, and years ago, he passed away from um, brain cancer. And, um, and the result of that was a lot of change and things that were very obvious changes. Um, we weren't disgruntled with, with the natural changes that come with leadership, uh, shifts, but what we faced in that network were theological shifts, um, that we began to disagree with. And again, I think there are areas where you can contend with a brother, you can have differences and still do ministry to an extent. I think, um, we really see that in, in church history in many different ways. But the thing that really created the, the need for breakaway, the divining line for us, was actually when a woman in my church came up to me who has Tourette's. And she had asked me what I thought about um, a place called Healing Rooms. And I had said, well, I don't know anything about something called Healing Rooms. Uh, what is that? And she said, well, it's a place where you go and you receive prayer. I said, okay, well, so far there's no problem there. Receiving prayer is wonderful. We should pray. Um, The Bible many times tells us to pray together, ask the elders to gather and pray. So um, what's your concern? And she said, well, my friend is telling me that the reason I have Tourette's is because I lack faith. Mm. And I said, okay, um, so what does that mean? And we just began to walk through um, that this place, what they were claiming was the cross of Christ, uh, accomplished physical healing for us. Um, and at the time I had never heard that before. That was several years ago. And, um, I remember talking with one of our pastoral trainees, um, and he says, I I think I've kind of heard some things about that. Um, and he had done some research that he shared with me. Um, and the research outlined a movement called NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, and that the healing rooms were a group that came out of um, a group called Bethel in Redding, California. And so from there, the plot just 
intensely thickened. Um, and I mean, I think better than anyone, I feel safe saying to you, I just went down the rabbit trail and there was no going back. Um, and, and so in the midst of that, you know, I, I shared with that woman the research that we had found and uh, not forcing her hand of don't go, but saying here are the, the concerns we have biblically. Um, yes, pray. Know that we are praying with you. We will pray for you. Um, asking the Lord to heal mightily uh, according to his, his desire, his will, and his glory is a wonderful thing. Um, but it was just a realization that that was a big issue. Um, those healing rooms weren't just saying, let's seek the Lord and ask that he would heal. Um, there was a really intense theological claim in that, that you will be healed if you then have enough faith. Um, and seeing the connection there to the NAR uh, was deeply concerning. And, and from that, we saw some of our network churches um, doing work with healing rooms. Uh, one of the locations began to rent to the healing rooms. Uh, they would do worship nights uh, collaboratively called Shekinah Glory Nights. Um, and so out of that, um, we had a deep concern. And there were other areas that really came up for us um, where we had differences. I would call them differences. Um, but the main driving concern, the dividing line, the breaking point, as you asked, was really seeing uh, all of the areas where these other network churches and this, this network leadership um, was really uh, like having influence from um, NAR groups. Um, and, and that was to us the main concern. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot there. Um, so the, so the prayer rooms to, to clarify are rooms where you would go and you would try to experience this type of healing. Correct. Correct. And then what you, what did you say there? Uh, these gatherings were called Shekinah glory. Yeah. Yeah. So think of, think of old Testament, think of Exodus. Um, and the idea is, uh, they would have worship nights, nights of worship and prayer, and it's to experience the presence of God um, in a Shekinah glory sense. Right. So so the pressure essentially came from being a, a part of this network where I guess there was peer pressure is kind of a weird way to put it, but but this, this pressure to kind of get involved and conform. How did that look in particular? Yeah, well, you know, the thing that made it difficult was, and I wouldn't say that there was a, um, was a, a pressure to take on any of this, okay. um, for us to, you know, for us as pastors to have like the healing rooms in our facility, it really began with this concern of you have our people in one location where we're saying, um, to them, Hey, we don't believe this is Orthodox. We believe this, these, uh, groups and these affiliations are uh, concerning. And one of the questions that came up from someone was, okay, but at this location, it's another congregant of the same network telling me uh, that I should go to it. Um, and it's supported by their church and it's in that church building. Um, so there was this disconnect. Um, and so while we had some disagreements, the dividing line came that we said, this is actually a first tier issue. This is very concerning 
And we don't believe that the church, the local church, should have any affiliation so far as it is possible with Bethel, the Healing Rooms, or the NAR, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation. And that is what really created um, the breaking point and dividing line was us saying that's concerning, that's unorthodox, um, and and the network leadership saying, uh, no, we think it's, uh, we have some disagreements, but we think um, you can kind of uh, eat the meats, spit out the bones. Yeah. So, so like, like you, you were saying the, the plot thickened rather quickly. Um, yeah. And so in that, how, how did, how did you um, lead and shepherd the congregation through this transition? How did this transition happen? You, you know, how did, how did this all pan out essentially? Yeah. So, you know, what, where we began was for a long time, um, I think one of the things we, we wrestled with, but prayed a lot through was, you know, we really did believe that this was something first to bring quietly, um, to leaders. Um, and so as an elder team, we had, um, written out our concerns and, and shared those, um, uh, really desired to have uh, many, really a sit down with all of the, of that network leadership with our elders, um, and, and over a series of individual meetings, the hope was just to really see resolve come from that. Um, and so where we started first was contending with um, those leaders and really trying to lay before them our concerns. There was there were many concerns. I mean, again, as I mentioned earlier, you have a, a major leadership shift. And so there were concerns in the midst of that. But the, the driving thing for us were these concerns of the healing rooms, the NAR. And I think what's important to remember um, when when I go to answer the how we led or shepherded our people, I think what's important to mention is that when, when I came to this church years ago, you know, almost six years ago, um, I had um, recently come to the doctrines of grace and loving expository preaching. But that five, six years um, there was a ton of reforming in my life. Um, a lot of things I, I really hadn't thought about um, being a part of that non-denominational church. We, we believed in believer baptism. We had a lot of things that came from uh, that traditional Baptist pastor's background. And so, you know, I just thought of myself as a Christian who believed in the doctrines of grace, and there wasn't a lot theologically that I had worked out. And so, over those years, I continued to read scripture and grow, and through that, um, became convinced uh, in my convictions of Reformed Baptist distinctives. And so you have kind of two things um, that were at play there in shepherding our people, because one was definitely the dividing line and the breaking point of a lot of the NAR healing room stuff. And, and then at the same time, I, I think to be fair, we would have to say we definitely changed. We definitely had um, some convictions um, that we saw the autonomy of the local church. We saw the importance of the plurality of elders. Um, and so in the midst of that, the way that we were really seeking to shepherd our people, and I say all, all of that to say it was important to contend from scripture. Um, another pastor had even told me at one time, 
um, don't try to contend with men uh, from your opinion or from your own wisdom. Do your best to contend all points from scripture. And that has stuck with me. Um, And so when we were seeking to shepherd our people, um, whenever there was opportunity, we were laying before them both concerns and changes and saying, here's why. Here's according to scripture. And here's what our convictions are. And I think even pastorally, what, what was helpful is any time we faced changes, we preached through them. Um, by the grace of God, going through the Gospel of John really automatically did that. Um, it was funny to hear um, Costi Hinn in American Gospel even reference um, him being blown away by the Gospel of John. I think it's in chapter 5 um, that he was uh, just kind of blown away by. Um, and how that just destroys the the word of faith movement. Well, we were going through uh, John five a few years ago, and and that was an incredible thing to preach to our people, looking at the sovereignty of God in the midst of suffering. And when we moved to a plurality of elders, um, we taught on ecclesiology. We did at the beginning of this year, and really contended from Scripture. Here's why church discipline is important. Here's why. Uh, biblical eldership and deaconship is important and so on and so forth. And so I think, um, you know, I, I, I jokingly mentioned in um, both in conversations with our elders and, and I, and I mentioned in one of my sermons preaching on Acts 20, that pastors are those, you know, a shepherd is someone who needs to smell like sheep, fight off wolves. And, look like Christ. And so I think in the midst of that, when you talk about smelling like sheep, you can't detach expository preaching from, from really being in the people's lives. And so I know I'm taking a longer, broader sense to explain this, but I would say the way, you know, that we really sought to shepherd our people was the same way we'd want to teach them to study the word and, and sit under the preaching of the word. Ask important questions, um, you know, wrestle with these things. Um, and again, I think um, whereas we long as pastors to see our people make godly biblical decisions, I, I think the thing that was really important in all of this is, one, you, you can't reform things quickly. Um, you have to seek the Lord and be patient. Um, this process was years for us. And I think also... As you're as you're going slow, you can only lay things before people and pray that the spirit does a mighty work. You can't force people to see um, the concerns that you see, that the study that you've done. I think that's always the hard thing when we get so passionate about the study we've done. And then we basically it's like dropping all that resource material on someone's foot. They're not going to be stoked about that. They're going to be mad. So. I think just slowly walking through with people, um, both in, from the pulpit and um, from, you know, sitting with them and, and caring for them, praying with them and, and just walking them through that. I think those are important things. Absolutely. You, you raised a lot of great points and what you just said about dropping something on uh, dropping the stack on their foot. I, I definitely can. Oh, yeah. Here, here's a 20 page document. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I mean, we, we can, I, I completely understand and relate to that. Um, and of course, what you were saying about 
Well, how would you want to approach the situation? You want to approach it where you're where you're practicing what you preach. You're 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 showing the scriptures. You're proving from the scriptures. It's all based on the scripture, and I think that that's an excellent um, thing we we need to all kind of realize, especially whenever it comes to like something we're particularly passionate about. That we're we actually are just subjecting ourselves to scripture rather than it being hyper emotionalism, and we're just kind of proof texting or whatever you may want to call it in that particular situation. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, you guys, um, you guys um, went through the issues. You uh, talked to leadership. You navigated through the waters of separating yourself from um, this this network. And and it sounds like it was kind of a simultaneous. Well, it was not only dealing with the preconceived you know tradition that y'all had before the NAR stuff came in, but it was also the NAR stuff that came in afterwards. Correct. So it was kind of dealing with both. Yeah, yeah, it was really dealing with both at the time. So y'all were just kind of re, re uh, man. That, so y'all were just kind of thrown into a restructuring, kind of everything at that point. Um, we really were, uh, and and I will say, by the grace of God, uh, we were able to walk through that uh, together. I mean, there were, I mean, every elders meeting for months that we began with a series of questions um, to really see. Um, even in that, I talked about not forcing the hand of someone uh, to reform or change or see the concern. Man, that really um, was important in our elders' meetings as well, because you can't you can't force the hand of even a leader. Um, just because you hold a conviction doesn't mean that's the same for for another. And so that was even important among our elders. Yeah, and I, and I found that with, with that perspective in particular, like it it removes a lot of pressure and stress from yourself. Yeah, because you don't. I mean, at times it can be frustrating because it's like, well, you know, why isn't this happening sooner? But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't. It's not my responsibility to change this person's mind. Yeah, it, it also one of the things that I think I'm beginning to learn is that it changes your work type. Um, when you're trying to push somebody um, to get on board with you, um, then your focus is on convincing them. Your your focus is on persuasion, whereas if your focus is on shepherding or, or helping someone come along, um, I think that is a way better way um, to love others. And it completely shifts your thinking from how can I convince you to how can I consider that person across the table? How can I care about you in a way of saying, even if we disagree, we have understood one another fully. And I know why you hold that conviction. I think far too often, whether it be online or in person, we make assumptions about one another. And I would rather have someone who I could say, I don't hate you, but I really disagree with you. And I know why. And we can go our separate ways, um, Lord willing, for the sake of the gospel. And I know where you stand. I know where you stand. Or, uh, again, the winning them to something is by the work of the Holy Spirit and not by us trying to be Holy Spirit Jr., yeah, <laughs> Holy Spirit Jr. <laughs> um, absolutely, yeah. It's kind of that difference between walking with someone through something versus pushing them to what you want. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, um, talking about you know all the changes, what does it look like now? How do you guys where, – where, where are you guys at now, I guess? Yeah. So in that transition, um, I had – um, resigned among the disagreements we, um, we had, um, 
what was important that we did acknowledge was that, you know, the way that network was structured is at the time, although our conviction was for a local autonomous church, we did not have the authority um, to make decisions. Um, although we were, we were a local group of elders, we were, um, we, we did not have that authority, neither did the congregation have authority and decisions. And so I, I think what I was really trying to lay before that group was, and, and we as an elder team, we're trying to lay before that group um, really the desire to part ways um, while we were shepherding these people, but really in the way of the structure, um, we really weren't the direct, we were the direct shepherds, but not the authoritative shepherds, I think as they, they potentially would have said. Um, and so, you know, what, what happened last year, because that's how soon we're talking about last year, I had resigned of my position in order to pursue planting um, a new church. Um, and so from that, our elders came with us. I was free to, to preach one final time. Um, I continued through our Gospel of John series and preached on the text I was going to preach. And um, we closed out that service and we continued in our local community center. Um, and we, we basically just started over. Um, and so from that, um, the, the, I believe the entire congregation came with us um, and things began, I think for the first couple months, um, they didn't look different at all. Um, obviously different environment, but again, what the season over years looked like and change um, was that, you know, we went from, uh, you know, ways of going, okay, um, you know, the doctrines of grace are an incredible truth. This is what we're going to preach. And then realizing that everything preaches and going, oh, okay, well, why are we turning our lights off? Well, man, we're learning about these NAR groups. And so we, we really need to be careful with what we're singing um, and, and who's singing and who's leading. And um, so that, that trajectory uh, began several years ago. And, and, and in the final big transition, um, at the beginning of this year, that is where we began to move towards becoming um, a Reformed Baptist confessional church. And so um, we began, um, I think, really at a third time to preach on ecclesiology. Um, and this year in January, I preached on the, the distinctives of Reformed Baptist ecclesiology really saying, here's what our convictions are as an elder team, like I mentioned earlier, and getting to contend with people. Um, someone had gifted um, Jonathan Lehman's book on church membership um, to the church, um, and that was a wonderful thing. And so we got to share those resources. And out of that, um, that was another thing we sought to implement that didn't exist before, church membership. And so not only were we preaching on church membership, we were also walking people through the biblical truth of that. What does it mean to covenant with one another um, in relationship and, and, and actually follow through in the one another's? And so out of a church of about, I would say 95, 115, if we're thinking Sunday morning and, and together, before all the COVID stuff happened, we um, were walking about 80 of our people through covenant membership. Um, and right before some of the stay-at-home orders, 
um, we had actually had our first group um, vote and form um, where they voted on covenanting with one another. They voted on us continuing as their elders, and they voted where the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession became our church's confession. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we're uh, at now. Um, the big bulk of our work is continuing to walk our people through um, what it looks like to be the church um, and uh, what our um, convictions are in ecclesiology and um, even further um, where we're headed with covenant membership. Absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you for um, for sharing. And I'm sure a lot of people will be blessed from from just hearing about all that. I think that especially just just kind of having that reassurance because a lot of times i mean you look out and and all you see um i mean are the false teachers it seems like that, that's all you see nowadays yeah. uh so it's always good to to hear about you know reform that is happening movement of the spirit that is um evident so with yeah. with that i mean we we get a lot of um i say we i don't know why i say that i get a lot of emails and stuff like that um yeah Asking, you know, how can I have hope? How do I approach leadership? How do I uh, decide to exit a church or a group, start a new church, things of that nature? So I guess, how would you encourage or navigate those questions? Yeah. Um, I think the first question that has to be asked is, um, can God can God use me um to see a reform happen within this group or church. Um, I don't think every, every situation is one that we just need to immediately say, uh, how can I jump ship? Um, I think we have more to learn um, by pausing and asking some questions before that question. Um, because I think if you have receptive leadership, leadership willing to have those conversations well, man, God could have a greater plan than you have in your exit. Um, and so I think, you know, again, um, there were years um, where, um, you know, there were people who may have even mentioned, you know, why don't we leave? And I had said, no, let's let's seek to to care for this. Let's seek to to, to fight for, not fight with or fight against. And I think... Um, I think that allowed us to leave with a clear conscience. I think that's an important thing. And I think also, um, as I mentioned earlier, contend from Scripture. Um, bring to those leaders, um, you know, I, I think all of us, especially us who are Reformed and value the history of the Reformation, I think whether we would be willing to admit it or not, all of us want a Luther story with the 95 Thesis. We want to nail it somewhere. Um, and we really want to get that point across. But I think what's important is even if you write that stuff down, I think sitting face to face with a brother um, or, or a sister and, and whoever those people are and really contend with them um, and saying, you know, how do you how do you have this affiliation? How do you have this ministry involvement? How do we preach this, teach this or believe this if this is what the scriptures say? I think those questions become really important. And rather than seeking to, you know, like I said, nail, nail our thesis somewhere, um, really lay it before brothers lovingly 
and say, here's the concern. Um, again, if that falls on deaf ears, that's going to become a lot more serious. Um, but I would encourage that. And I think also um, get get around godly men um, and, and godly women. Ask them to pray for you. Be honest about your weaknesses. Um, there's a local pastor in our area who anything I wrote or anything that um, I was thinking, I laid before him. And I will forever be grateful for even the times where I, I asked, am I crazy? Am I crazy? Am I, am I acting um, in a way that is not um, responsible? Or am I being wrong? Or am I in error? And I will, like I said, I will forever be grateful because he was honest with me. Um, in fact, he's the one who held me to the point of, yeah, they've changed. These are theological concerns. But you've changed too. You're a Reformed Baptist. You hold convictions that are different than theirs. And that's an area where, you know, you need to realize they've, they've changed in some areas. So have you, and, and those are your convictions. And so I I would say, get around godly men who are going to be really honest with you, pray with you, help you stay grounded, point you to the word, um, and to the truth. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so talking privately, you mentioned doctrine being a part of the whole life, and I thought it would be fantastic if you explain that here, because I think that yeah. it would be uh, well, it would be solid. So, uh, yeah, when I mentioned that, I mean the the thought behind that was really that um, that idea comes from where I began when we were talking earlier. Um, that you know when I came out here. We, we started with uh, expository preaching. And I thought, man, you know, Paul tells Titus, preach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay, so my preaching needs to be doctrinal. It needs to be healthy. Um, and uh, I thought, man, that's the important thing. And, and then again, the more I studied scripture, the more I would say over the last two and a half, uh, three years coming to a Reformed Baptist conviction, what I found was that um, doctrine and and uh, and that conviction of scripture does not just involve the pulpit. Um, I think that's what actually, in in my understanding, not just from history and looking at different um, circles and, and cultures, that's what really separates those that would say I'm Calvinist and those that would say historically I'm Reformed, because the Calvinistic thinking is about. Um, those sets of doctrines of grace, whereas Reformed theology is saying, okay, this is going to bleed into everything. Um, so doctrine and devotion go hand in hand. Um, and so when I mention that it's part of the whole life, I think in, in my view and my understanding is not just that um, sound doctrine invades the pulpit, but really, it's over the pulpit. It's what then is over the preacher, and it invades every other area. And so that has been something that, you know, when I got here and I was like, okay, expository preaching is a big deal. This is really important, and we've got to get people to understand the gospel. Um, at the same time, the more I did expository preaching and then studying Reformed theology, the more I learned all the other areas that in order for doctrine— to be understood, applied, loved even as healthy, it has to invade your devotion. It has to invade your whole life. 
And so that even, I would say in our liturgy, um, changed a lot for us. We begin to ask questions and say, man, man, it really seems in scripture that how we worship matters. Um, it's more than song. So, wow, why are we not reading as much scripture, but we've got people focusing on transitioning lights, um, you know, and, and we've got to have the, the really nice bulb lights and we've got to have this or that element. Um, and so I, I think one of the things that um, has been really important is in examining scripture and whether it be um, in the study of expository preaching or in shepherding or in teaching classes, um, that's one thing where, again, I think when, when Jesus talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're talking about the whole person. Um, and I think when we think of doctrine, we tend to limit it to what, what's in our head. Um, and to me, learning doctrine, studying doctrine, and teaching doctrine um, has really been about teaching people that doctrine and devotion are not divorced. Um, they go together. Um, they're like two sides to the same coin. Um, and so, again, I think what that's definitely influenced is I am someone who says I am very against, um, you know, NAR, Bethel, healing rooms, all of those things. And here's doctrinally why. Well, I can't just say that and then say, but their music is really good because doctrine's in my head, but not in my heart. But if I understand that as a doctrinal issue and I have studied the doctrine of God and the holiness of God, well, then that affects how I worship God. Um, and so I think that's something that has been really important to understand and to teach um, that really it's it's connected to the to the whole. We can't just say we think things um, and not live them out. And so um, that's what I believe in regards to the doctrine being a part of the whole life. And so again, um, another pastor had told me one time that everything preaches. And I, I love that, that statement um, because it's true because you don't just preach doctrine from the pulpit. Um, if everything preaches, then how we live even matters. And that's, that's gotta be doctrinal. Yeah. That was well said. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so this has been a great uh, conversation, but before we close it out, I would ask if there's anything else you might want to say, anything, any additional thoughts before we close everything out? Sure. Um, I would say in the midst of, um, in the midst of this, I think a couple things. One, um, when I started here at this church, um, in a, in a leadership capacity, I was very, uh, alone. Uh, the, the network we were a part of was pastor led. And while there were advantages to that, um, in authority and leadership, um, when you talk about pastoring alone, that's, that's a difficult thing. Um, and not isolated from relationship, but in leadership. And I'm just, I, I would say I could not imagine walking through this <clears throat> without the godly men that I lead with today. Um, that's been a big blessing, and I think any church that that seeks um, to make changes or is walking through um, some of these convictions and, and these theological issues, um, that has been something that is incredibly um, encouraging. Um, I'll forever be grateful 
um, to the, the other elders in our church, the other pastors. Um, and, and so that's been something incredible. I, I think another thing too is, um, while I'm someone who values the research and the study, um, I, I love, you know, where I love listening to like your podcasts, I'd probably be happy to pick up the phone and talk with you for another hour about it. Um, but that's not everybody. Um, and so I think sharing resources have been um, phenomenal, getting bite-sized material into people's hands, um, even in our congregation. Um, when I talked about not rushing people through, um, like reform or learning these things or these convictions, sharing resources with people has been a big deal. That was That's how I found your ministry, um, was sharing with our people um, and them saying, I don't know what the NAR is. And rather than, you know, act like, um, you know, they need a pitchfork in hand and we're going to drive um, over to Redding, California. I think like putting a podcast in their hand or a book in their hand, uh, Costi Hinn's Defining Deception was huge. Um, watching films like The American Gospel um, and giving our people um, some of your content has been really helpful because, again, they're hearing their shepherds contend from scripture and they're hearing other trusted sources contend on the same thing. Um, so I think that that's been really valuable and, uh, um, yeah, just continuing to pray, to seek the Lord, um, and, uh, contend for, uh, his word and the truth. That's been the, the big thing. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's there's some kind of weird weight about the the awareness that whoever's telling you these things isn't alone. That there that there's a consciousness about all these other individuals who recognize and see the same things. So I think the yeah. resources kind of help with that too. They do, and and I think even um, I think they've been encouraging for me realizing that I'm not alone. And then also, um, again, when our people. Um, whether it be our people who others or others who are asking these questions to hear someone else that, you know, like is not like, Hey, go listen to my friend, um, you know, who, who also has this issue, but listen to this other person who from another state, from another part of the world is contending for this. And we may even arrive at different convictions on a whole lot of things. Um, but here's why this is an issue. And I think that's something if I can uh, say in closing, one of the last things is this is not a Calvinistic issue. This is not a reformed issue. This is an orthodoxy issue. And that's one thing that I've heard before that drives me nuts a little bit. And I understand that um, Calvinists and those reformed have a great concern um, for theology. I'm grateful for that. But again, I, I've watched Arminian brothers and sisters that I love um, contend for this and and be against this. Yeah. Um, and and so again, I think understanding that this is an issue of orthodoxy, contending from history. I mean, again, these aren't new heresies; these are old heresies repackaged. And I think that's really important to understand. And I mean, again, we're not even at our church, we're not divided against Arminians on this. We're not saying, well, it's the Wesleyans who have this issue. And, and because we're reformed, we're, we're issueless. <laughs> we're yeah. not at all. Um, 
But I think that's an important distinction when we talk about some of the NAR, Bethel Healing Room stuff. Um, what we're talking about is a group um, that is defying Orthodox Christian values and doctrine. And um, so I think that is really important in understanding what divides us and what unites us. Absolutely. Yeah, that was good. That was a good thing to also note. And as soon as you said that, like the first, I mean, I immediately thought of Mike Winger and Melissa Daughtry, who are both Ar yeah. Armenian in persuasion. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. this was a, a very um, great discussion. I, and like I said, I think a lot of people are going to be blessed by it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on and talk about it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity and, uh, yeah, it's just been a, a great learning lesson. And like I said, too, I just, I have to say thank you again, because there have been many podcasts, um, at, that come from your ministry that we've gotten to share with our people and just getting to listen to. And, um, of course I love graphics. So all the <laughs> graphics you're putting out are really fun and wonderful and informative. So it's been, uh, really a blessing to just get to, to learn from your ministry and, and get to share in it as, as well through this. I, I really appreciate that. And that's all I could really hope for is that it affects someone somewhere. As for the graphics, I get asked on occasion now if I'm a dispensationalist. So that's kind of been an interesting <laughs> thing. <laughs> because of all the graphics. Yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> that's too funny. I was like, well, we need more, we need more, uh, reformed, uh, graphics out there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Well, again, uh, fantastic talk. And um, well, you want to point people to your church's podcast? Because I was listening to some of your sermons uh, like last week, and they're excellent. I think they would be also a blessing if you want to point people that direction. Sure. I'm grateful. Um, yeah. Our church is called Redeemer Cedra Woolley. So if you go to RedeemerSW.com, you can find our podcast there. And I think. It's actually on Spotify and on the podcast uh, app on iTunes. So if you just type in Redeemer Cedra Woolley, um, you'll be able to find it. It's just a red logo with uh, with an, a white R as the logo. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully we, we get you on some some uh, other time. I think it'd be fun to have you on and discuss whatever whatever comes to mind. So thank you again. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. I, I'm, I'm grateful and, and uh, appreciative for the time. My pleasure. So at this point, uh, you think I get better at, you know, exiting out of interviews. However, I just, this is such a hard thing to just end an interview, especially whenever you know that the other person is going to be on the line after you stop the recording. Anyway, this was David Lawler. I've had the privilege of becoming a friend with him. Um, over the, I believe it's been a year. I don't know. It all blends together now, but I hope you were encouraged and blessed by this um episode i know i was whenever he first explained everything that was going on with his church and um i i really just enjoy his character and his approach and especially his sermons he he has um a gift for sure so i hope it's a blessing let me know what you thought send me an email nick.campbell at christthecure.org and uh you know let us know what you thought of the episode and i can relay that over to pastor lawler have a great day and god bless you all <laughs>